grab a tree branch, and he held on for dear life. In a panic, he calls out above himself to the cliffs to the cliffside to see if anyone is there. Hello, can anyone hear me? When all of a sudden a voice cries out and says, Yes, I'm here. So the man says, Who's that? The voice says, It's the Lord. The man says, Lord, help me. The Lord says, Do you trust me? The man says, I trust you completely, Lord. So the Lord says, Good. Let go of the branch. The man says, What? The Lord says, I said, let go of the branch. So the man thinks about it as much as he can. His grip is slipping. He's seconds away from sure death. And after a long pause, he says, is anybody else up there? That's a super cheesy story. I agree. Um, But it helps us to see one distinct notion the Lord provides. Life, especially life in this faith, in the Christian faith, is going to be hard. Uh, In fact, it's a guarantee from God himself that if we are believers, that life will be full of trials and tribulations. But all of those times are to leave us in awe over how God will provide. Faith in God will mean that the Lord will provide for you and for me everything that we need to glorify him and to grow in Christ-likeness and God's provision and how he shows up for us. uh, And in this passage, he does it in three different ways. The first is uh, God's provision will show up as an impossibly hard call an obedient assurance, and a reminder of blessing. An impossibly hard call, an obedient assurance, and a reminder of blessing. So let's just take a look at the first one. Look at verse 1. It says, after these things. So we must ask the question, after what things? Because passages of Scripture are written in context for a reason, Um, You can pretty much make the Bible say a lot of different things if you wanted to. Um, We, however, do not want to hear anything other than what God has for us, um, so we get the context. After these things is directly referring to the interaction with Abimelech, where the two men make a friendship covenant, and we see for the very first time two things. One, God's taking care of his own people in the midst of the wilderness, and two, God's blessing of salvation extending out into the nations. So we see what God promised in Genesis 12, like actually happening. God said, I will bless you and make you a blessing so that you may bless all the people of the earth. Both of those things just happened. And that was coming off of a huge win in that God had just showed up to give Abraham and Sarah a baby. 30 years after the first call, they waited 30 years and it finally came to be. And they named the boy Isaac because they said, and people are going to laugh at us because we are so old and we had a baby Um, But all the while, Abraham and Sarah, they've sinned over and over again. Sarah literally lied to God's face. Abraham gave Sarah up twice. Um, He slept with Sarah's handmaiden at Sarah's request. Um, And they had a baby until last chapter uh, when Sarah kicked the handmaiden and the boy out of the tent and out of the little nation that they had. But all along, God has proved himself faithful and just and loving and patient and kind. And he has provided in, in a myriad of different ways. So it's been a roller coaster ride of faith for Abraham to which we all say, man, I, you know what? I feel better. Because if we're honest, our, our walk would look like that as well. It doesn't look like a cookie cutter Christian life. I need Jesus. I have Jesus and I still need Jesus, which is kind of the point. But so all of this has happened. And after 30 years, things are finally looking up for Abraham until God shows up to test him. So he says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here am I. 
He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, this is brutal. You've had the boy of which I gave you after 30 years of waiting for about 13 years now. Now go and offer him as a sacrifice. Now notice, God doesn't tell Abraham to kill his son. He doesn't say murder him. Otherwise, he could have done that in the tent. He tells him to offer him as a sacrifice. So what does that mean? This was the way that God would operate for the remainder of the Old Testament. The firstborn was always offered up as the one who would take on the heavy burden of sin, um, of, of atoning for the sin of the family. So, for instance, the firstborn was the one who got all of the land and the animals and the inheritance. And that wasn't always necessarily a good thing because it was going to be up to the firstborn to provide for the rest of the family. He was the hope of the family. The firstborn's life was literally forfeited. It was offered up as the payment for sin for the entire family. He was the one who had to bear the burden of the sins of of everybody. So all ancient culture would look to the firstborn as the hope of the family. Unless there was a payment made on behalf of the firstborn, such as in the Passover, uh, all of the Egyptian firstborn uh, children were killed, and it would have been so, like it would have happened as well with the Jewish firstborns, um, unless there was a lamb offered in its, its place, and there was. So the question is not, why is God having Abraham to offer up his son as an offering? This was completely normal, culturally speaking, at the time. So then the question becomes, why does God's command go against God's promise? If God has promised, I'm going to bless all of the nations through Isaac, why am I about to offer him up as a sacrifice? How's the promise going to come through if I take out the one thing that the promise is coming through? We will come back uh, to this question a little later, but just thinking of this call simply, what is it? What is this call? It's a call from God to obey. It's a call from God to have faith, even though it's going to cost the security of the family of the firstborn, even though it's going to cost Abraham the son he loves. It's a call to have faith. And it's almost the exact same call from chapter 12. Go to a land and there will be a mountain, but I will not tell you which one yet. And give up everything you have. Like, this is almost exactly what he said in chapter 12. So this means that God is calling Abraham yet again to have faith in him yet again. And he's doing so by calling him to do something monumentally difficult. So how does this look for you and I? It looks like really any one of the commands of God. Uh, Abstain from all appearances of evil. Be patient. Do all things without complaining. Honor your rulers. President, Congress, Mayor. Love your neighbor as yourself. And just listen to this from Romans 12. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. 
Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I can't do all of those things. I can barely do one of those things. I think that's all of us in the room. So this command from God to go and do this impossibly difficult thing is not about how we feel about how terrible the command is. It's about the impossibility of it. Faith in God will mean that God will call us to humanly impossible standards so that we will cry out to God for help and guidance. Life should look impossible. The life of faith should look like the most difficult thing to walk out because it is. And because if it's easy and we think we got it, we don't need a savior for that. Abraham gets it. That's why he immediately, the next morning, he goes to obey the impossibly hard call, but he goes with assurance and obedient assurance. Take a look at verse three. So Abraham rose early in the morning, not wasting any time, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, so this was about three days' journey away from where they were, um, about 45 miles. So Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship. So he's just honest with the men. He's just telling them exactly what they're going to do. But the most amazing part of what Abraham says comes next. Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come to you again. What in the world does this mean? Is he just lying to them? He's like, I don't want to tell them about what God's command really is. No, he, he believes by some means that he will return to these men with his son. He remembers the promise of God that God is going to bless the nations through his offspring named Isaac. So he knows that God is either going to allow it to happen and he will resurrect him from the dead or God will stop it from happening. Either way, this is a great moment of faith for Abraham. Hebrews 11 uh, talks about this later in the New Testament where the author says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. So why is Abraham so quick to go and do this? So we'll see it in the next few verses in verse 6. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, literally put it on his back so that he could walk it up the mountain. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together, and Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham there built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son, 
But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. So why did Abraham obey this command without any qualms or concerns or anything unto the point of binding his son down to the wood as he would do with an animal and taking the knife to slaughter him? Why would Isaac stay calm in all of this instead of just freaking out and punching Abraham in the face saying, don't do this, bro, (coughs) or dad, (coughs) because they know that God will provide. They know deep down that God cannot break his promise to the nations to save everyone in the world, (coughs) to to have a chance to save everyone in the world. And so they know that even if Isaac is to be slaughtered, that God is able to raise him from the dead. So a man by the name of James Hudson Taylor, he was a missionary. He was a missionary to China in the late 1800s. When he first showed up in China, they were in the midst of a civil war. So he dealt with political riots, people hating him, no one listening to him explain the gospel, natural disasters, everything going wrong. And in one summer, he lost his son, his daughter, and his wife. One day, while traveling with two men named Harry Bochamp and C.T. Studd to bring the gospel to this little group called Sheshwan, Hudson's group was out of both food and money. As they walked along the road, Hudson cried out, We thank you, Lord, for this, our food. So Bochamp, the other guy that's with him, he couldn't help but ask him, like, where's the food? Taylor smiled and said, it cannot be far away. Our father knows we are hungry and will send our breakfast soon, but you'll have to wait and say your grace when it comes. I'll be ready. (laughs) Not long after, a village actually stopped the men along the road and brought them in to eat breakfast. That's assurance. Assurance means walking into nations where people do not know the name of Jesus and telling them about Jesus, telling them about the gospel, even though you can die, even though they could kill you, even though you could run out of money, even though you can starve, even though you can get sick, you could lose a son or a daughter or a wife because you know deep down that the Lord will provide. So what about you? Where do you lack assurance in God? Faith in God means that God will provide. We first have to be called to that something impossible. Then we obey with assurance in God, not in the earthly assurances. And we see the reminder of God's blessing. Look at verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all of the nations of the earth be blessed, because you've obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. 
So I, I think it's kind of funny that, like, to those men, they had no clue what was going on. They just, Abraham did what he said they were going to do. And they're like, yeah, they returned, but they didn't see everything that just happened. Um, but what is this? Like, what, what did we just read? It's a reminder of the same blessing that we have seen from God in four previous chapters. It's just like the God of the universe to remind Abraham of the call and to remind him of the blessing, and this is how God will provide for you and I. The call of the gospel is not simply be saved and then move on. It's the power of God to save us and keep saving us. We, just like Abraham, have to be reminded over and over again of the impossible call that we will never be able to live up to so that we cry out to Jesus in desperation and need, and we have to be reminded of the blessing that Jesus has secured for us. Otherwise, we lose hope. We need both. This is why we are gospel-centered. This is why we preach the gospel every Sunday. This is why we take communion every Sunday. It's not just something that unbelievers need to hear or that you need to hear as an unbeliever. It's something that believers need to hear absolutely just as much. The gospel is what saves us and what reminds us that we're saved and that encourages us and it motivates us to keep pressing on and keep going. God provides the call over and over again. God provides the assured obedience over and over again. And God provides the reminder of the blessing the Lord will provide. But we must ask the question we asked earlier. Why does God's command go against God's promise? Why does God's command of go and offer your son go against God's promise in that very same son? God is bringing us to this narrative to show us something intrinsically beautiful about himself. On one hand, God has to deal with the sins of the world. He has to be just. There is evil in the world, and it has to be dealt with by a righteous God, and it was by God receiving the offering of the firstborn, the, the forfeiting of their life. But God also must be gracious and merciful and grant his blessing to those who would believe. So our question now becomes, how can the God of justice be the God of mercy? How can the God of grace be the God of wrath? One answer, and we see it in the passage, the lamb. Even if God had allowed Abraham to go forward with the offering, it wouldn't have been enough. The way that God's grace steps into the rhythm of God's justice is through the lamb and through the lamb alone. So then our question becomes, just like Isaac, all right, where's the lamb? John the Baptist, uh, in John 1, he says these words. Behold the lamb of God who's looking at Jesus. Do you see Jesus in the passage? Jesus is the son, the only son whom God loved. And the father walked with him to Calvary, the mountain, the same mountains mentioned in the land of Moriah centuries later. On him was the wood of the offering laid. Jesus would bear his cross. Jesus was offered up as the firstborn of all creation to bear the weight and burden and cost of the sins of everyone. Jesus died so that no human sacrifice was necessary or needed. Abraham did not have to bring his hand down onto his son because God brought his hand down onto his son. So what does faith look like? How is it that men and women will walk into the most dangerous parts of the world with courage to proclaim the gospel? How is it that men and women walk across the street to their neighbors to make friends with them? How is it that we forgive others? How is it that we have faith? What does this faith look like? 
It looks like Abraham's answer to Isaac's question. He says, God will provide. In, the, in Hebrew, provide means to see to it. So in essence, he says, I don't know, son. You cannot see to it. I cannot see to it. God will see to it. God will provide the lamb. And life, as we look at it, will have plenty of mountains for you and I to traverse. But what gets us to the top is not our own strength or not our own fear of staying at the bottom. It's the cross of Christ. That's what gets Abraham up the mountain. He knows that God will have to find some way to be the God of promise, to save the world through Isaac, and the God of justice to pay the debt of sin. And he says it. He says, I I know that lamb is out there somewhere, son. And he was. The Lord will provide the lamb, and we know because the Lord has provided the lamb. And now, just as the angel of the Lord said to Abraham, we can actually now say these words back to God. Now I know that you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son, from me. Now I know. One day, us as believers will get to sit at the table with the father and the son and tell them about the wonder of this story. And we'll get to praise God to his sweet face. And we'll be at the top of this mountain around all of the other men and women of every tribe, tongue, and nation who can all look at this story and we can all collectively say, now, now I know. Behold the Lamb of God. So as a picture of that day, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together as a family. And if you're a believer, uh, if you have been moved in your spirit by the Spirit in the words of God, or in the words of God to say the words, now I know, in belief and in turning from your sin, then you're welcome to the table. If, however, you're in unrepentant sin or if you have not yet believed in Jesus Christ as the lamb, the offering for your sin, then I ask that you remain in your seat on the basis of 1 Corinthians that says you partake in an unworthy manner. But if this is you, just take time this morning to sit with the words of God and ask God for salvation. It has been provided for you. You need only believe. You need only to turn from your sin and to be covered by the blood of Christ in belief that your sins may be atoned for as well. Don't walk out these doors without knowing, without going to the Father in belief. Otherwise, those mountains will be waiting. But there is an easy yoke to be had. For all of us, uh, this is our prayer. Father, thank you for the Lamb that you have provided to be the payment for our sins. Would you, by your grace, continue to provide for me? In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, just take your time, and we'll we'll pray. We'll uh, take just our time together. And then when you're ready, grab the elements, bring them back to your seat, and we'll take them all together here in a minute. How do we know we're at the foot of that mountain that the Lord will provide because in Jesus he already has. On the night when the Lamb of God was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. That it was truly only a human sacrifice that could atone for sins, and that was something that you provided for us. And since you have provided Jesus for us on our behalf, there is nothing more that we need. And just as you showed up ready and waiting in the moment for Abraham, we know that you're going to do the same for us. Would you grow our faith in you? Would you help us to love you even more this morning? Would you remind us every day, continually, every moment that you are going to provide? And we thank you for the provision that you have given us. That one day we will get to be in heaven together around that lamb, talking to him. We thank you for the good news of the gospel. We praise you and we give you all of the honor and the glory. And as we sit at every foot of every mountain, God, would you, uh, would you remind us, would you help us? We need you. We have you and we need you. It's in Jesus' name we pray and ask. Amen.